There's nothing wrong with the job. There's nothing wrong with the things in the house. But where's the Lord? You have to meet with him. You have to sacrifice something and take a little time and spend alone with the Lord Jesus. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of Psalms, the passage that we were reading? Psalm 27. Psalm 27. I mentioned earlier at the beginning of the service that I want to speak on this subject. Just one thing. Just one thing. I read an interesting story that happened a little over 10 years ago down in um, Florida. Nassau, that's the government agency, nautical, uh, no national aeronautics and, and space administration. All right, anyhow, good enough. Nassau. They're the big, the big boys that shoot the rockets up, you know, into the space. They were going to launch a rocket. And this was, I think, around 2010, something like this. And so they spent $500 million building the platform. And this thing was 335 feet tall. It was made of steel, concrete, and it was all decked out. And it was finally all done. And everything was ready. Except they were just missing one thing. The Obama administration wiped out the rocket. They had no rocket. It's sort of like being all dressed up and nowhere to go. They had the launch platform, but they had no rocket. They were missing just one thing. The rocket. So it's kind of sad. It's kind of humorous. But it's true. And in our lives, we sometimes get bogged down in our spiritual growth. And, you know, we think about, oh, man, what, what could be the problem? I, I was growing. Now I don't seem to be growing spiritually. The old devil is right there to try and tell us, give up. Give up, sweetheart. There's just too many things, insurmountable obstacles for you to grow spiritually. And I suggest to you that's not the case. God wants us all to grow spiritually. We all understand about growing physically. You know, as children, we're supposed to grow up tall and strong and healthy and all that. At least that's the, the desire. It doesn't always happen that way. When we reach adulthood, we sometimes grow in other dimensions. I understand that as well. But spiritually, that's an aspect of human life. And we need to grow. We need to grow and keep growing. Do you know that fish out in the wild, in the lakes and in the, in the rivers and in the oceans, fish never stop growing until the day they die. And it ought to be the same with us as we grow in the knowledge of God and spiritual things. But sometimes we hit a wall or we kind of, fall off the bandwagon or we go into a trough or something and we don't seem to grow. And I want to suggest to you that it may be a simpler solution than what it seems like. Oftentimes, there's only one thing that's holding you back from spiritual growth. Now, I'll be honest that after you get that fixed down the road, there may be something else that comes up. But at least for here and now, for right now, there may only just be one thing that's holding you back from getting victory in your life and knowing God more and feeling more of the peace and joy of God and getting more of your prayers answered and more assurance of eternal life and all these wonderful things that are connected in, in this, we'll call it a spiritual umbrella, if you will. And I want to suggest there may just be one thing. And the first one is in Psalm 27. But first, let's have a word of prayer. Let's ask God to teach us today. Our Heavenly Father, we come to your book and we ask that you would teach our hearts today something that we need to know. We're all on different levels, every one of us here. We're, uh, I guess, as different as the, the fingerprints, as different as the snowflakes. We're all different. But yet, Father, in your eyes, you know everything there is to know about us. 
Please help us, every single one of us, to be able to take further steps forward in our knowledge of God, in our Christ-likeness, in the spiritual things of life that matter so much. Help us with this, we pray. Help us to have eyes to see and a heart to take it all in. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Well, if you're a note taker, I've got a couple of notes for you. Number one is one thing in verse 4, 27 verse 4, chapter 27 of Psalm verse 4. Look what the psalmist, his name is David, King David. Look what he says. One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now the expression or the term house of the Lord, that is what the word church means. The word church means house of the Lord. The church is the house of the Lord. That's what it means. And you'll notice King David wanted to dwell in the house of the Lord. That means to stay a long time. And here's why. To behold the beauty of the Lord. That means to look and to inquire in his temple. That means to ask questions and to learn. To look and to learn. Why did you come to church? Because someone forced you? I hope you came to church to look and to learn. To look and see the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple and learn something. And I hope that every one of us can go away today having learned something from God's word today. And so this first one thing that could be holding you back from greater spiritual growth is this item here. Faithful attendance in the house of the Lord. I know it sounds simple enough, but trust me. The devil will find every conceivable way to keep you from going to church. Oh, look, it looks like it might rain. Better not go to church today. Oh, look, it's a beautiful day today. Can't go to church today. I mean, that's what, you know, soccer's all about. <laughs> and the golf course. Uh, oh, look, um, can't go to church today because uh, uh, little Junior, he, uh, he cut his finger or he stubbed his toe. And so, you know, the family will stay home and take care of, of that. And maybe all of the relatives too while we're at it. But the devil will find every crazy way he possibly can to keep you and I out of church. There are times, it really does happen, where we just don't feel like doing something. We don't feel like going to school. Has anyone ever felt that? Raise your hand. Be honest. All right. That's a bunch of honest people. I don't feel like going to work today. Does anyone ever feel that? Raise your hand. Oh, is it more hands, more hands, right. I don't feel like brushing my teeth. I don't feel like combing my hair. You know, all of these things, we don't feel like doing it. It's life, it happens. But does it mean we should stop going to school? I don't feel like going to school, therefore I'm stopping. I'm not going to go to school. No, we'd say, push through it, sweetheart. You know, I don't feel like I want to go to work. You can do it, cupcake. <laughs> and we get over these things. And in the long run, we're glad we did. We're glad that we went to school. We had Janina receive a great certificate. Now, I'm not going to ask her, but possibly there was maybe one of those school days she didn't quite feel like going to school. Does that make sense? Because she's human. Now, I have something, I think it's kind of humorous. But uh, someone wrote a little story. They put it in the little pamphlet like this. And I'm going to show it to you. And it, what it is, it's um, uh, a picture, uh, an illusion, not an illusion. Um, uh, it's like a parable, a parable. And um, it shows, you know, the crazy reasons why people don't go to church. But they do it in another framework. Sports. Sports. Crazy reasons for quitting sports. So anyhow, I'm going to share this with you. It's called Pastor Quits Sports. So we have a couple of pictures so that you can see it up there. See on the headlines of the, uh, 
the, the, the daily press there. Pastor quits sports, football in the fall, base, ba- basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring and summer. Your pastor has been an avid sports fan all his life. But I've had it. I quit this sports business once and for all. You can't get me near one of those places again. You want to know why? You open the page. He gives several reasons. Number one, every time I went, they asked me for money. Well, there's a good reason for quitting sports. Number two, the people with whom I had to sit didn't seem very friendly. Number three, the seats were too hard and not at all comfortable. Number four, this one, I love this. I went to many games, but the coach never came to call on me. There's a good reason for quitting sports right there. Number five, the referee made a decision with which I could not agree. Uh, Number six, you'll like this. I suspected that I was sitting with some hypocrites. They came to see their friends and what others were wearing rather than to see the game. Uh, Number seven, some games went into overtime and I was late getting home. Number eight, The band played some numbers that I had never heard before. Number nine, it seemed that the games were all scheduled when I wanted to do other things. Number 10 is a classic. I was taken to too many games by my parents when I was growing up. Number 11, I recently read a book on sports. And now I feel that I know more than all the coaches do anyhow. Or today we might say, uh, I watch the YouTube. And I think I understand more of this business. And then finally, number 12. I don't want to take my children to any games because I want them to choose for themselves what sport they like best. So I thought that was pretty funny. I've had this for a few years. It's the only copy I got. But I wanted to share it with you. I thought it was funny. You know, there's some wrong thinking uh, out there. And the old devil takes advantage of it. And he'll do anything, anything in his power to keep you and to keep me out of church. But it's in church, it's in the house of the Lord where we get blessed. So it's important that we get some kind of victory over these things. And, and what can we do in order to overcome this one problem, this one thing have I desired Man, I want to be faithful uh, in the house of the Lord. I want to come. I want to behold. I want to look. I want to learn. I want to grow. And this is really a stumbling block for a number of people. And they have trouble in scheduling and all kinds of things. But the answer gets down to the way you think. Now, for some people, if they think, oh, church is, is boring, church is, is not rewarding, church is no profit, I'm never going to learn anything, it's just a waste of time, I wish I was out, you know, swinging a golf club, or I wish I was out at the beach, or something like that. That kind of thinking will make your church experience horrible. You will just labor, you know, groan and, and gripe every minute. Is it over yet? Or can we go home? I want to get out of here. That's the, the, the result of wrong thinking. But if you knew that by coming here, you would have the blessings of God, you would have the opportunity to look and to learn and to experience and to grow. If you started to change your thinking all of a sudden now, hey, I think I'd like to go to church. You know, in my life, I grew up sort of being sent to church. Um, My parents would come once in a while, but usually us kids, we were sent. We were not brought. We were sent to church. And so I could hardly wait for the day I could get out of there. Um, Finally, the day came and I left and I thought, I'm never going to church ever again in my life. And after a few years, the Lord started working in my heart. And look at me now, I'm a pastor. (laughs) Oh, never say never, I tell you. But uh, you know something? All of a sudden, church became incredibly interesting. 
It really did. It has held my fascination all these years. I became a Christian when I was still 18, going on 19. That's when I received the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart. What a difference he made when he came into my life. That was back in 1975, 48 years ago. I'll tell you, it's only gotten better. Church has really been an anchor in my life. But in order for us to overcome some of the the trouble the devil gives us in trying to get us to stop coming to church, here's a few things to keep in mind. God tells us uh, what our thinking should be. I'll just rattle off a few of these Bible verses for you, but Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, not forsaking the assembling of yourself together. It's God's will for us to come to church. 1 Peter 2, 2, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. You'll get the sincere milk of the word, the Bible here at church when you come. And so I will grow spiritually. In Matthew 25, 21, Uh, The Lord is looking forward to the day when he can um, uh, bless us with well done. Now, when, when my life is over and I stand before the Lord, what will he say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are the words I want to hear. Um, in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, it talks about the church ministering to itself. There's a job for me to do for every one of us. You might think, well, there's nothing for me to do. I just come and sit and then when it's over, I stand up and I leave. It doesn't have to be that way. The church is like a family or it's likened to a body. Your body is an amazing invention by God, an incredible creation. And it's designed to look after itself. If you have an itch on the end of your nose... Well, I suppose you could do what my dog does, and he gets down and rubs his snout on the rug or something. Uh, But you could do what us humans do, and that's use one of these things and reach up and scratch it. Your body has been designed to look after itself. You can feed yourself and clothe yourself and bathe yourself. You can get yourself out of bed and get yourself on the bicycle or in the car and get to work or get to school. Your body is designed to look after itself and the church is like a body designed to look after itself. There's a job for everyone to do. Everyone. Take me very literally at this. There's a job for you if you're interested. It all goes down to changing your thinking. For some people, they think about the church as like a, uh, what do they call these, cruise ships? How many have ever been on a cruise ship? Raise your hand. There's more over here, I think, than have been over here. You folks don't know what you're missing. You ought to talk to some of these folks over here that have been on the cruise ship. But the cruise ship has got all of the amenities and all the luxuries and all of the food and the scenery and everything you could want on these cruise ships. Well, some people think the church is like a cruise ship where they come and they sit on deck and all of the staff run around and do everything for you. And that's their idea of a church. That's not God's idea of a church. God's idea of a church, if we're going to use uh, ships and, and the sea, it's not a cruise ship. It's like a military battleship where everyone on board has got a job to do. What would you think of our Canadian military or our navy i guess i I should be more specific you know if most of the uh, the the soldiers on the ship they just kind of sat around and did nothing they just ate and lounged on the decks while a few manned the ship and made things run what kind of a, a navy is that we'd lose in any kind of a battle the church is more like a body that ministers to itself So if we change our thinking, now all of a sudden coming to church is going to be a lot of fun. Maybe, maybe this is the one thing holding you back from growing the way God wants you to grow and experiencing the blessings and the victories God has for you is faithful church attendance. I can guarantee you the devil is going to challenge you. If you say in your heart, yeah, you know, maybe pastor's right. Maybe I should start coming more regular. I can guarantee you right now, the devil is going to challenge that. So you have to be ready for him.
And you've got to decide in your heart and mind what it is that will actually keep you out of church. If you're sick, you're honk, honk, sneeze, blow, drip, all that stuff, stay home. Stay home and enjoy the internet ministry we provide. But if you're not sick and you're not dead and you're not working, come to church. Be ready though. The devil will challenge you. Okay, we have to move along here. I'd like you to go to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Mark. So in the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So get to Mark chapter number 10. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, I want you to see this other one thing. And we're going to pick up here in verse number 17. There's this uh, rich young man and he comes in verse 17 and he kneels and says, Good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Stop there for a moment. That's a good question, this fellow asked. That was a very good question. Here's a guy who's concerned about uh, his life after he dies. So many people aren't concerned. They think, I'll deal with that when the time comes. That's a mistake. Some people say, oh, there is no life after death. That's a mistake. There is life after death. God tells us all about it in the Bible. And God tells us that there's no coming back for a second and third and fourth chance. This is your chance to be right with God or to stay wrong with God, one or the other. And it doesn't matter if you say, well, I'm just an atheist and I just, you know, you can be an atheist, that's your choice. It's a wrong choice, but that's your choice. You'll still have the consequences to pay. If you uh, uh, get into an accident, uh, you uh, still have some consequences. Hey, if you take a gun and shoot someone and the police come and arrest you, you can say, well, I don't believe in police. I don't believe in judges. I don't believe in the judicial system. And you can say that to yourself all you want. They're still going to arrest you. They're still going to try you and and convict you for your crime. And a person can say, well, I, I don't believe in God. They can say that to the day they die. And they will still stand before God after they die. And God will still convict them for their sins. It's the sin problem. That's what needs to be dealt with. And that's why Jesus came and died on the cross. To provide a way for you and for me to be able to have peace with God and eternal life. Here's a young man. He comes running to Jesus, says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus starts going uh, through the Ten Commandments with him. And the fellow says, well, uh, verse 20, all these have I observed from my youth. So then Jesus beholding him, loved him, and said unto him, One thing thou lackest. He said, Go thy way, sell whatever, whatsoever thou hast, and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross, and follow me. Well, that hit him like, you know, a sawed-off shotgun. Boom! He'd never, he wasn't expecting this. Otherwise, he would not have come and asked Jesus. He was expecting Jesus to say, oh, well, if you've done all of these things, then you should be okay. You know that this is what the world's religions teach? All of the world's religions teach a system of good works to get to heaven. They essentially teach that God is like an accountant and the end of your life God draws a line and all of your good things he adds up and all of your bad things he adds up and he subtracts the two and whatever the difference is, if there's more bad than good, you go to hell. If there's more good than bad, you go to heaven. And that's their thought. And so they're always teaching good works, good works, good works. Well, if if my good works are more than my bad works, then God will accept me. And it doesn't matter the religion, aside maybe from Buddhism, they don't believe in anything after, after death, but aside from them, uh, they basically all going to teach you the same thing. If my good works outweigh my bad works. And that's what this young man was counting on. He had lots of good works and he was expecting Jesus to say, well done, well done. But that's not what Jesus said. Because Jesus could see what was holding him back. And what was holding him back was his love of money and riches. 
And so that's why Jesus told him this. And so verse 22, and he was sad at that saying and went away grieved. You know what grief is. Usually we use that word at funerals when someone is so overcome with sorrow and sadness and a sense of loss. We say, oh, they're grieving. And indeed they are. But look how much this guy was in love with money. He grieved. He was sorry. He was sad. He grieved. It says, for he had great possession. And here's the one thing that I'm wanting to point at. That's the love of money. Being caught up in the riches of this world. Some people, that's all they live for. Some people, that's what they'll die for. They want the money. The money. And they'll follow the money wherever the money leads them. Money is a good servant, but it's a lousy master. It's possible that someone might be struggling with the almighty dollar. Oh, if only we had more money. Oh, if only I could get, you know, three jobs instead of two jobs so that I could make more money. Now, someone might say, well, I have all this debt, so therefore I need a lot of money. How did you get that debt in the first place? Were you born with it? Uh, no. Did you inherit that debt from someone else? No. <laughs> Did you go out and spend, spend, spend? Yes. <laughs> there you go. If you hadn't have spent, 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 maybe if only you just spent instead of spend, 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 just one spend instead of three spends, you might not need that third job. You could spend more time with your loved ones at home and your family. Sometimes parents have the mistaken idea that because they grew up poor, they're going to work hard and give themselves over to money so that their children never have to experience what they've experienced. The problem is all that hard work and those jobs keep them out of the home. And so the kids have to have babysitters all the time. They hardly know their parents. And what the kids need more than money is they need mom and dad. Sad, isn't it? But that's the thinking that's uh, persuading so many people to run after the money, run after the big paying jobs. What a mistake. It's a carrot on a stick. That's what the, the old farmers would do to get the mule going. Put this carrot on a stick and dangle it in front of the nose of the mule. The mule just kept following after that carrot, figuring any day now I'm going to get that carrot. And that's what the, the elusive world of riches is all about. They're promising you more money, bigger raises, fat paychecks. But what you don't realize is the terrible cost that comes with it. You have to sacrifice your time. You have to sacrifice your family. You have to sacrifice your health. There's a strange saying, a proverb almost, that so many people, they spend all their health in order to get wealth. And then when they finally have wealth, they spend all their wealth to get back their health. Crazy, isn't it? It's like a carrot on the stick. You know that if you're part of God's family, God is your heavenly father. And he loves you and loves you and he will meet your needs. You don't have to sell your soul to the almighty dollar. You don't have to do that. Well, pastor, that's a little bit uh, too late now. I've gotten myself into too much debt. What do I do? You look to your heavenly father. You ask him to teach you to curb your spending. You ask him to teach you how to be better with your finances. And you ask him to give you a little miracle to help you to get out of debt. God probably won't do it overnight. But he will do it if you're serious. He'll get you out of debt. You can live debt free. It's wonderful to live debt free. Oh, it's a joy that you don't owe anything. It's a great way to live. You know, if you don't have the cash to pay for it, maybe that's God's way of telling you to wait until you do have the cash. There's nothing wrong with waiting. A couple of generations ago, that's how people lived. If they didn't have the cash, they didn't buy it. Now today we say, hey, I don't have the cash. No problem. I've got plastic. No problem. I've got a line of credit, an LOC. I don't have the cash. No problem. I got a brother-in-law. Boy, if you want to make 
bad friends in a hurry, borrow money from them. And then all of a sudden friendship is gone and every time you see them, you think, oh, they want their money back. And then you don't want to see them anymore. So, yeah, we get ourselves into trouble. But it goes down to this idea. Listen, turn to the right in, in your Bible and go to the book of 1 Timothy. This is what will help change our thinking. 1 Timothy. We have the page number there for the, uh, the Pew Bible. Oh, okay. Uh, well, anyhow, keep turning to the right. You get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, then 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and 1 Timothy. That's what you want. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. 1 Timothy, chapter number 6. Here's some good biblical advice. 1 Timothy, chapter 6. Uh, verse number 9. But they that will be rich. Now stop there. It doesn't say they that shall be rich. It doesn't mean when Uncle Zeke passes on and you inherit $100,000 or something. It says they that will. There's an act of the will. I want to be rich. I am going to work hard. I'm going to do whatever I got to do to be rich. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. And that destroys life. And into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. You look at these people that have won the lotto and you think they got it made. No, they've been had. Their life is about to fall apart. People who all of a sudden, ordinary normal people who all of a sudden come into millions of dollars. Now, they're walking around, they're thinking, okay, I better be on my guard. There's a lot of people that are after me, want my money. And it's true. The news reports are full. Stories of people, relatives that have killed other relatives for the money they won. And if you don't have any relatives, you'll inherit some. You'll get phone calls from people that say, well, you don't know me, but I'm your uh, brother-in-law three times removed on your deceased cousin's side. And, and oh, I need your help, please. And you're going to get every crazy idiot and crook after you. Then there's the internal squabblings that'll happen with, you know, within your family. Most people, listen, these are statistics that the government themselves produce. Most people who win it big end up desolate. They blow it all. It's all gone within two to three years. It's gone and their families and their relationships gone. Many of these people who were once, you know, working menial jobs at, at minimum wage, and they hit it big, they won the lotto, they got millions of dollars. Two years later, it's all gone. They're in debt, and they're back at those minimum wage jobs. Only this time, they've been saddled with more debt. Sad. Here, if you really say, I'm going to be rich, it doesn't matter what people think or say, I'm going to be rich, you're making a big mistake. Look at verse 10. For, read it out loud with me, please. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. It doesn't get worse than that. The love of money. It doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It says the love of money. Those are people who have the, the dollar signs for eyeballs. And they want the money. The money. They're going to go for the money. And they have erred from the faith. Boy, if there's one thing that will knock you down spiritually, it's putting too much emphasis on money. God has made life so that it requires a certain amount of money just like life requires a certain amount of sleep, a certain amount of food, a certain amount of exercise, we need a certain amount of money. But we don't need more than that. Maybe you need eight hours sleep. Well, don't stay in bed and get 12 hours sleep. It's going to work against you. Physically, it's going to work against you. You know, figure it out for some people, seven hours. I knew a man all he needed was three to four hours maximum. He grew up on the farm. He was a, an oddity, if you ask me. But after three or four hours, he was wide awake and he'd go all day. 
He, and I'd say, well, what time would you get to bed at night? Or uh, no, I asked him, what time would you get up in the morning? And he said, that depends on what time I went to bed. So if I go to bed at 12 midnight, I'd get up around three or maybe four. I'd say, what would you do then? He'd say, well, I'd get dressed and I'd go into the office at four in the morning. And he'd work all day. He was a workaholic. By the way, there was a man who did become rich. And he had it all. And then he lost it all. And ended up in prison. Because he had to do some things he shouldn't have done. In order to hold on to his wealth. Which he couldn't hold on to. He ended up in prison. Anyhow, after he got out, that's when I met him. <laughs> he, was very, he was much more honest with his life after than before. But that's another story. But here, in fact, look at verse 17. Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded. And so many people think that because they have money, they're better than you. That's high-mindedness. Nor trust in uncertain riches. You can have them today and you can lose them tomorrow. You say, well, no, they're all protected and insured. <laughs> Not from God. If God wants to blow on them, they're gone. No matter how many safety devices you've put on your money. They're uncertain riches. But here we're to trust in the living God who giveth us richly all things to enjoy. That they, that's the rich people, do good. That they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. And so very quickly here, we are to change our thinking when it comes to money. Remember, you're a child of God. If you're born again, you're a child of God. God is your father. He will meet your needs. You say, well, what if I'm not a child of God? Then um, you're in trouble. Because um, God has not made any promise to secure you or meet your needs. He has made those promises to his children. God is good. He is good to all humans. Even humans that are atheists. Even humans that hate God and, and, and spend their lives at attacking God. God still gives them life. He still puts bread on their table. But God is merciful and gracious for a period of time until they die. Whether they die young or whether they die old, it's the grace of God. If they have not gotten right with God before they die, listen, they've made their bed, they can sleep in it. When they stand before God to be judged, they're going to have a whole lot of sin they've got to deal with. Ah, that's not good. God has given us this life to get right with him. We've got to move on here. I'd like you to turn back to the book of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, then John. So Luke chapter number 10. So far I've given you two of these one things. The first one is faithful church attendance. The second one is, let's say, modesty, a modest life, modest living. Avoid the trap of money. Avoid the money trap. People who are scam artists very quickly can tell if you're in love with money. They'll test you on a couple of things and if you light up, then they'll, they'll say, well, listen, you can make this investment and you'll make 100% back on your money in one week. So you give them your money and you'll never see them again. Scam artists, they're looking for people who are not content if you're not content, you are a target for scam artists. But in Luke chapter 10, I'd like you to see this one. It's extremely important. It starts here in verse 38. Story about when Jesus came to the home of um, Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. So verse 38, it came to pass as they went, he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary. Watch this which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. That's what Mary did when Jesus came into their home. She sat at his feet and listened to what he had to say. And where's Martha? Verse 40. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him, that means Jesus, and said, Lord, dost not thou care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. Now watch this. Jesus answered and said unto him, unto her, 
Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. So Mary made the right decision. She took the time and she sat at Jesus' feet to listen to what he had to say. And now this, this translates into our lives. We call it daily devotions. Where you take some time out of your busy schedule and you get alone with your Bible. That's the Word of God. And you start reading the Bible. And then when you're finished, you pray. You get on your knees and pray. For some people, they spend 10 minutes doing that. For some others, they, they love it more. They spend 20 minutes. For others, we'll spend an hour with the Word of God and then getting on our knees or getting on our face and praying. What you're doing is you're coming, you're coming into the presence of the Lord. We call it devotions because you're devoting yourself to the Lord. Daily devotions. Daily devos, if you will. This is very necessary. If you're going to prosper and grow spiritually, you have to have a time every day where you read the Bible and pray. This could be the stumbling stone in your life. Many Christians have set this aside. They say, well, I'm pretty busy. You have to understand I, I get just enough sleep and I get up and I have just enough time to get a piece of toast, a, a cup of coffee, maybe a spoonful of rice. And man, I'm out the door and I got to catch the, the, the bus, get the sky train. I got to get to my job. I got to work all of these hours. Then I get home and there's all these things I have to do. And by the time bedtime comes, I'm tired. You will always have time for the things you want. You want that job, you've made time for it. You want those things in home and your house, you've made time for it. There's nothing wrong with the job. There's nothing wrong with the things in the house. But where's the Lord? You have to meet with Him. You have to sacrifice something and take a little time and spend alone with the Lord Jesus. When you come to church, I hope you get fed spiritually. But that's not enough. If you came just once a week and got a physical meal, one meal a week, is that enough? Is that going to last you seven days? No. You need to feed yourself every day. And that's what your devotions do. And so this may be the one thing that's holding you back from some exciting spiritual growth. Again, the devil's going to challenge you on it. He will do that as sure as you're here today. He will. Now, one last item. And again, you've turned to the right. And I want you to go to the book of Philippians. We're going to finish on this one here. So you're going to go past Acts and Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, then Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. So these little books are just a couple pages long, you know. So you, you can skip over them if you're not careful. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 13, Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Um, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. There's the one thing. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. In a nutshell, what Paul is saying is that there are certain things he just forgets about. Some people have trouble forgetting. How about you? When someone does you wrong, are you able to forget it? If someone offends you, steals something from you, slanders you, shows you some kind of discourtesy, are you able just to leave that with the Lord and forget it and move on? Because a lot of people cannot. It bothers them. They go to bed and they're just, their mind is busy with the dirt that's been done to them that day. They don't sleep well. They get up in the morning and they may have forgotten what it was that happened, but they're, they're all agitated. And then finally, oh yeah, it's because that woman, that, because of that man. Oh, and it's all over again. It turns into bitterness. And what we need is an answer. 
There is no uh, Tums or Pepto-Bismol that you can take that will take away the bitter feeling that you have towards someone who's put a knife in your back. It happens. It happens in life where someone's going to treat you nasty. And what are you going to do about that? And the old devil is just trying to pour gasoline on the fire and really make it explode. Well, you have every right to be upset with that woman, with that, upset with that man. They did you wrong and you know it and everyone knows that they are wrong. And listen, that may be the truth. But the bottom line is it's eating you to pieces. And if ever that man or woman came in the room, you'd have all these horrible feelings in your gut and in your mind and maybe your eyeballs would turn red and you just want to get out of there. We can't live like that. Well, what is this here about forgetting those things which are, you know, behind and reaching forth? Boy, oh boy, if there's one thing that'll hold you down and destroy you pretty fast, it's being upset with someone. By the way, there's someone else you can be upset with. Maybe there's no one in the world you're upset with, but maybe you're upset with yourself. Maybe you look in the mirror and you say, loser. You look in the mirror and you look at yourself and say, failure. Maybe you're upset with yourself and you can't forgive yourself. You look at yourself in the mirror and say, I know what you did yesterday. I know what you did last week. I know what you did a month ago. And every one of those times, you promised God you wouldn't do it, and you did it again. And only a failure would do that. And you feel terrible. You're harder on yourself than the devil is. You can't forgive yourself. What do you do? What do you do? You have to change your thinking. You have to start to think like God thinks toward you. You see, that's why Jesus came to earth. To die for our sins. For all of the horrible, creepy, nasty, dark things we've ever done. Or ever will do. The Lord Jesus made a payment on the cross. He shed his blood as payment for your sins. Now, watch out. This payment has to be applied to your account. You know what a charge card is, Visa, MasterCard, and whatever. You can go out and have a whale of a time with one of those and rack up $10,000 worth of debt on your piece of plastic. But now you've got to pay. But I can't pay. <laughs> you are in trouble. You're in trouble. Boy, oh boy. What if a rich person came? and made a payment, and wiped out your debt. You'd say, well, then I guess I wouldn't owe anything. Jesus made a payment, but it's not applied to your account until you receive Jesus. When you receive Jesus, you receive the payment. You get eternal life. You become part of the family of God. You become born again, as Jesus said it. One thing, this one thing I do. Forgetting, forgiving, and forgetting. And it's not always that simple, is it? You have to start to think of yourself the way God thinks of you. If you are in Christ Jesus, you are a beloved child. He loves you. He knows you're going to mess up, but he loves you still. Seems to me I preached on this last week. So it's on the internet if you want to go later and watch it. it might, you might find it a blessing. Look it up on the internet. The amazing love of God. But you need to start seeing yourself the way God sees you. Stop seeing yourself the way the devil wants you to. And start seeing yourself the way God wants you to see yourself. You can convince yourself of a lie or you can convince yourself of a truth. It's up to you. You need to look at yourself as forgiven. And because you belong to God, when someone offends you, they're not really offending you, they're offending God because you are his purchased possession. And when they slight you, they're really slighting God. And when they backstab you, when they offend you, when they steal from you, it's really God they're doing these things too. And God knows all about it. And God will look after them. There's other things we could say. 
But I tell you, this is one area where some people have trouble. This one thing. I've just named four of them today. There's others I know. But possibly one of these four things are holding you back from growing and experiencing a closer walk with God. Wouldn't it be wonderful to breathe some heaven's air? Wouldn't it be wonderful to speak to God and know He's listening to you? Wouldn't it be wonderful to ask for things and receive them? Wouldn't it be wonderful to enter into a great fellowship, one-on-one, you and God, a fellowship? He's not just someone way out there somewhere. He's close. He's closer than a brother. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live your life? And that's what God wants for you and for me. Well, what's holding us back? Well, I've rattled off four things here. and Maybe there's something else that might be holding you back. There could be. There could be one other thing. It could be you're not born again. Jesus is God in the flesh. Only God could die for our sins. God came to this earth. His name was Jesus. He died for our sins on the cross. But Jesus said these words in John chapter 3, Ye must be born again. Ye must be born again. I must. You must. In my life, that happened on on April the 6th, 1975. That's when I was born again. Have you been born again? Say, well, I'm not sure. How would I know? (laughs) If Jesus Christ comes and lives inside you, you're going to know about it. Oh, you're going to know about it. Has that happened to you? Well, I don't know. I, I hope so. Well, you can know so. If you will admit to God your sinfulness, if you will ask God to forgive you your sins, if you will ask Him to come into your heart and be not just your Savior, but your Lord, that means He's the boss. And if you will do that, He will. If you will open the door of your heart, He will come into you and forgive your sin and save your soul and give you a brand new life. Think about that. A new life. Isn't that exciting? A new life. Put the old life behind. Receive Jesus Christ today. Would you pray with me, please? Close your eyes and bow your head. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.